scripture reading tonight is from the last verses of Jude, verses 17 to 25. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Jude has 25 verses, but it has uh, lots of questions, and uh, it's not going to be our purpose tonight to really delve into a lot of that, these, these references that you find in First Enoch, uh, the assumption of Moses that, that Jude makes in this, this letter. What I want to do tonight is, is to kind of go through the letter and give us uh, kind of a, a skeleton, an idea of what it is that Jude is trying to communicate. Does everybody have an outline? Everybody has an outline. Let's pray and let's jump into the book. Father, we're grateful that you have blessed us with safety to this place tonight. We're grateful, so grateful, that you have, you have, you have blessed us, Father, with this Word. And we pray to always be good stewards of it, that we will allow this Word to, to penetrate and, and to go into the deepest parts of our being in such a way that we not only change the way that we think and the way that we respond, where we place our affections in this world, but, but we are different people, Father. We are people of the kingdom, disciples of your Son, Jesus. Help us, Father, to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In a, an article that uh, D.A. Carson wrote back in 1999 that was entitled God's Love and God's Wrath, he tells the story of a, of a young man from uh, uh, French West Af Africa uh, uh, that he would meet on a regular basis to, to speak German with. Uh, Dr. Carson uh, is a brilliant individual, speaks fluently seven languages, uh, professor at uh, Trinity Evangelical up in Deerfield uh, Park, Illinois. And he was meeting with this young man on a regular basis to, to help him with his German. He understood the the, the young man was trying to get back to Germany where he could pursue some doctoral studies in the area of engineering. And about once a week, they had kind of studied as much as they could study, and they would go out to dinner. They would speak French, which was Dr. Carson's first language, being Canadian from the, from the, the French-Canadian side. And, uh, and the young man being from French West Africa, they would speak French together. And they got to know each other over, over these nice dinners. And Carson learned that the young man's wife was back in London training to be a medical doctor. He also discovered that about once or twice a week that this young man would head into the red light district. 
And when he got to the place where he felt like he knew him well enough, he asked him uh, what he would do if he discovered that his wife was doing the same thing in London. And the young doctoral student said, oh, I'd kill her. And Carson said, well, that's a bit of a double standard, don't you think? And the young man answered, you don't understand where I come from in Africa. The man has the right to be with as many women as he wishes, but the woman has to be faithful to her husband, and if she is unfaithful, she must be killed. And Carson said, but I thought you told me that you were raised in a religious school, that you were raised all your life in a, in a, a mission school. You must know that the God of the Bible does not have double standards like that. And the young man smiled, and he replied in French, Oh, God is good, and He's bound to forgive us. That's His job. Well, uh, there is a saying in ministry that goes something like this. It's a truth that sometimes you have to teach people what not to believe. Which brings us to the letter that, that Jude has written and the problems that Jude is facing in this church. Jude begins with, in the first verse, these words, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He does not say which James he has in mind, but it's been generally accepted through church history that he's speaking of James, the brother of Jesus. There is no other James in the Bible that we know of that is eminent enough to be for, referred to simply as James, and everybody know who he's talking about, except for James, the brother of Jesus, who is, who is prominent in the letter of James that we looked at this morning and in the book of Acts. And uh, if so, then Jude is also the brother of Jesus that's referenced in Mark chapter 6. We can wonder why he doesn't say that he is the brother of Jesus, except that, you know, in James chapter 1 and verse 1, James does not do that either. It would seem, it would appear, that the brothers preferred to refer to themselves as servants of the Lord rather than to claim some kind of familial tie to Jesus. Uh, recently, there has been some debate as to whether or not somebody was writing uh, kind of a, 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 a pseudonymous uh, work. He was using Jude's name to kind of give it some credibility. The problem or the question I have is why in the world would he do that? There's no Jude that's really famous except for this one. And for our purposes, we're going to think of him as a brother of Jesus, which brings us to verse 3. And we're going to break this down into five big words, uh, five major words. The first is in verse 3 where Jude makes his appeal. He says in verse 3, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, meaning I want to write to you about the greatness of what God has done in Christ on the cross, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend, that is, to, to, to fight for the faith that has once and for all been entrusted to God's holy people. Now, Jude is concerned for the salvation of these brothers and sisters in this church, as well as for the faith that was given once and for all and trust, entrusted to all of the saints. But rather than setting forth in a systematic way the faith that, that, that Jude is, is, is really wanting and the salvation that Jude is really wanting to write about, Jude reminds them of something incredibly important, that judgment falls on those who profess to be Christian but do not demonstrate it in their life. And not just in a, 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 a weak, um, in-the-moment kind of way, but who are profoundly profoundly working and living across the grain of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. 
Which brings us then to the problem. He writes in verse 4, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are what? Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Now the issue here is twofold. It is a, a teaching and a lifestyle that basically says, hey, you can do whatever you want. It's a license. I'm giving you permission. I'm giving you authority in a sense with the license to be able to do whatever you want. And that immorality, secondly, is so horrendous that it could be said that it absolutely denies the presence of the Lord Jesus. And so right here at the very beginning of the letter, uh, Jude is basically saying, I appeal to you, you need to contend for the faith that's been entrusted to you because ungodly people have slipped among you and they are giving you license to live in such horrendous immor uh, immorality that it makes it look as if you are completely disengaged from the sovereignty of God and His Son Christ in your life. And he says, you, what you need to do is to remember some things. Now, it's interesting that Jude does not try to refute the error point by point. He assumes that they, they know why it's wrong. But what he does do is call them to remember something very, very important, that God's judgment falls on these kinds of people. This he does in verses 5 through 19 by reminding them of, of the doom and, and of the judgment that falls on the ungodly. And he does this by giving them six examples. Three, three examples in the beginning and then three examples after um, uh, about verses 9 and 10. So example one, he says, you need to remember the judgment that fell on Israel in verse 5. The Lord brought the people out of Egypt and out of their slavery. It's the exodus. He remembered the promises that he made to the, to, to the patriarchs. He hears the cry of, of the, the bitterness of the life of the people in their slavery in Egypt. He sends Moses back. He brings them out with power and saves them from the armies of Pharaoh, brings them to Mount Sinai where He forms them into a nation and promises to bless them and asks for them to enter into covenant with Him. And yet, when they get to Kadesh Barnea and are about to enter into the promised land, Numbers chapter 14, they fall back. After all of the things that God had shown them in technicolor and in 3D, right there personally and intimately, during that period of time from, from the, the, the first plague that fell on Egypt to the place where they get to Kadesh Barnea, He had shown them completely His faithfulness, His power, His, His goodness, His ability to come through on the promise, and yet they shrink back. And God's judgment falls on these people, and you know the story. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. And then He gives a second example, and these are the angels who do not keep their place in verse 6. And he says, you'll remember that these angels who did not keep their proper place, they are kept in chains or they are kept in bonds under darkness for judgment. And then the third example is Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7. He says, you know, these people indulged in all kinds of immorality. If you go to the book of Ezekiel, it was not just the immorality that, that, was, um, uh, that they were famous for, but they were also uh, uh, the way that they treated the, 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 the poor and the oppressed. 
There was pride. There was cheating. There was unjust ways of doing business. There was, there was all kinds of evil that was taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. They indulged in all kinds of sinfulness. And he says they are undergoing punishment of eternal fire. So he says you've got to remember the judgment that fell on Israel. You've got to remember the angels who were created by God to be His messengers and to be His servants. They who were not faithful were put under judgment. You've got to remember Sodom and Gomorrah, these two great cities that were prospering, but because of their immorality and because of their oppression and their injustice, they, uh, they underwent the punishment of eternal fire. Now in verse 8, he gives an indication to the false teaching that was being introduced to this church that Jude is concerned with. He says in verse 8, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand and the very things they do not understand by instinct as irrational animals do will destroy them. The beginning in verse 11, he gives three more examples. He says, you need to remember Cain. Cain did not deal with the temptation that he was warned of and fell into the sin of killing his brother and was judged. And then the fifth example is the error of Balaam that we remember from Numbers chapter 22. It's also in verse 11 of Jude 1. God gave Balaam the message and he spoke it. But there was more to being faithful to that message than just speaking it. He had to embody it. He had to live it. But Balaam betrayed the message for what? Money. And the message was obviously that God had given him the words to speak were not, were not precious. They were not a treasure to Balaam. And he did not treat it as such. And he fell into judgment. And then from Numbers chapter 16, he reminds him of the rebellion of Korah. Here is this man who has finally had in his own heart and mind enough of the authority of Aaron and Moses. He's tired of Moses. He's tired of Aaron. He's tired of their authority. He's tired of being bossed around. He's tired of being told what to do. So he gets 250 men. They go and they challenge Moses. He challenges Moses with 250 men. and says, who do you think you are? Everybody in this camp is holy. And you know what happened? Everybody stepped back and fire came down from heaven and consumed them. He says, not only do you need to remember those, those, those you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels and, and, and the people that were judged who had come out of Egypt, but remember Cain. God spoke to him and said, you need to deal with the temptation that is, and that is crouching at the door of your heart. You need to deal with it. You need to act on it. But he did not and was judged. The error of Balaam. It, there was more to, 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 to living faithfully with God's Word than just speaking it. And the rebellion of Korah. What are you going to do with the authority that has come upon you in the kingdom of God? Well, he gives them this warning. Jude warns this church that these kinds of individuals are so absolutely dangerous to the integrity of the body. He says they're like hidden reefs. Hidden reefs in, in the ocean that can stick a hole in a boat. They're clouds without rain. They look like they're going to promise a lot, but they really deliver nothing. They're trees without fruit, doubly dead and uprooted. And then he says in verse 14, See, 
The Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the what? Ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. How many times does Jude use the word ungodly? Three times. Over and over. Just emphasizing the ungodliness, the ungodliness, the ungodliness. But that ungodliness is not something that is just quarantined out there. Because of their fellowship with that ungodliness, the hidden reeves and the clouds without rain and the trees without fruit, doubly dead and uprooted, are a danger to this church and, and, uh, and, and Jude is warning the church of it. And finally, the remedy, beginning in verse 17. He says, But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly, there that word is again, desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. What Jude is doing is basically saying, you know, you know the stories. You, you know ungodliness. Why are you not remembering the effect of ungodliness on human beings in the presence of God? Why, why are you tolerating this kind of influence to come into your fellowship and to come into the body of Christ where you are meeting and in such a way damage not only the integrity of that church, but also to be in danger of God's judgment coming upon you. The judgment of God is a very real thing. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about those angels. Think about the people who came out of the Exodus. Not all of them were saved. Some of them were destroyed. Finally, with a faithless generation and 40 years of wandering in the desert before a new generation was raised up to go into that land. He says, you need to remember Cain. Cain. Cain had every opportunity with the authoritative word coming to him and saying, Cain, there's something very dangerous that is happening that's close to your heart, that, that's close to you, that is going to damage you. It's going to change you forever. It's going to have ramifications. It, it's going to bring judgment into your life. And Cain chose to ignore that word. And judgment fell upon him. You have Korah who treated the Word of God as if it was just a commodity. It was not a treasure to him. He was using the Word of God in order to get his treasure. He was using the Word of God in order to get the very thing that was precious to him. How do you treat the Word of God? Is it the voice of God that is speaking to you? 
Or is it just a means to an end? He says, you need, you need to remember. You need to remember that judgment. You need to remember that. And the remedy is to live the full implications of the salvation and the faith that you profess. And there's, 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 there's a way to do it. He talks about showing mercy to people. Of, of hating the ungodliness. He talks about the clothing stained by, by corrupted flesh. He talks, about, he talks about being merciful to those that doubt. Of, of saving others by snatching them from the fire. Building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Praying in the Spirit. Keeping yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. That is, to be focused on God's kingdom being expanded in your heart. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. And maybe you have not been paying attention to that Word in ways that, that you should have been. And tonight what you need are the prayers of the church to strengthen you and to get you righted again and, and to help you to, 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 write, to write the direction of your life. To commit yourself not only to, to being a, 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 a saved individual, an adopted child of God, but one who is living as a disciple in God's love, praying in the Spirit, snatching others from fire, building others up. If that describes you tonight, or maybe you've never given yourself to God at all. Maybe never through Christ Jesus have you, have you been adopted as a son of God and brought into His family for all of eternity. And the way that that happens is very simply, there's a confession that Jesus is the way. He is the Lord. And, and there's a changing of the mind. The Bible calls it repentance, where you change the direction of your life and you go in the direction of God from here on out. Your sins are washed away in baptism as you participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus. And then you persevere and you grow and you walk in the steps of Jesus as a disciple from here on out. Growing as a person who is bearing fruit in their life of that love, of that gentleness, of that kindness, of that faithfulness, that self-control. If that describes you, some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the foot of the stage. We want you to come down and talk to them as we stand and praise God together.